Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. You've reached the Voices of the Cannabis Wars a radio show where we are on a mission to bring you the news from the front lines, let you know what's going on behind the scenes in this war as people across the nation still are being taken to jail, being incarcerated, being held for decades and decades of their lives behind bars, some of them even dying there, Um, raids, uh, courtrooms, prosecutions, everything you can think about, we cover if it has to do with the war on this show. Um, my name is Kristen Floor. I am one of the hosts. Um, I'm a host because my father was killed in federal custody, and I don't think anybody else should be killed in federal custody. Uh, the other host of the show is Eugene Fisher, who served 25 years of his life in federal prisons because their plant is federally illegal. And he freed himself out of a life sentence. We also have Beth Nichols, who is screening all of our phone calls today. She's a volunteer. She's an executive director of the Human Solution, who helps us out. We also have Mindy Griffiths, who is the producer of this show. We can hear from. We'll be hearing from Mindy in and out throughout the show as she lets us know what's going on behind prison with her Mindy update. Um, and she also does a lot of stuff for our prisoners, especially. Um, well, I know the news from last week, in case you didn't hear the news from last week, Chad Latham is free. She's a personal advocate for him. So um, it, it kind of inspires everybody to want to be personal advocates. Um, we have a huge show planned um, ahead today. We've got um, some news that we're going to get to in just a second. But we've also got uh, Amanda Latz, who is a Parent for Pot in Michigan uh, chapter representative. She also has her own case. She's going to be our first guest of the day. And we will not be hearing from Craig Cecil. However, we have a message for him as to why. And then we're going to speak to George Monterano, who's going to be a regular guest on our show with his own segment every single Sunday at 945 on the show. And then we're going to hear from Beth Curtis, whose brother is serving two consecutive life sentences plus 20 years for marijuana. She's also the founder of Life for Pot and has brought in all these stories. Her, her and Eugene, the, the other host of the show, has brought these stories of plant prisoners from behind bars to the outside at the outside world for us to know about them. We're going to close up. We're going to do some open mics. So if anybody has anything to say, just hang in there. We will get to you. Um, but first, I want to introduce you guys to the other host of the show. This is Eugene Fisher. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, listeners. It's so good to be on another Sunday, and um, this is going to be a really good program. We're going to have uh, my good friend uh, and fellow um, man I was incarcerated for so many years, George Monterano, who's a poet. He wrote a new poetry poem he's going to read for us when he comes on. Uh, Craig Cecil, I understand, can't make it today. He's a, a lifer doing life sentence for the stupidest charges. He wasn't even guilty of what he was charged with. It's a marijuana charge, and he he normally comes on at at uh, uh, 9:30 in uh, in Pacific Standard Time. He won't be on today. Uh, but Christian, I'd like I'd like to ma- mention something to the listeners. I'd like to mention something to the listeners. Our group Val is trying to get an initiative going. With all of the um, with the other organizations participating, all the advocacy organizations participating, where we would go 
go to Washington, D.C. Uh, to try to see the president uh, about changing, because the president can change the scheduling of marijuana. And we'd like to try to meet with him and meet with some congressmen. Uh, and we're, this is the latter part of this year we want to try to do it. So we're, that's going to be in the pipelines. It's something we're, we're thinking of doing and getting going on it. And um, uh, to just give to the listeners a little bit of a, the background, while I was incarcerated with my good friend George and uh, Noah Robinson, another man, he was the the uh, stepbrother of Jesse Robinson, we got an initiative going from behind the, the bars in Coleman, Florida. We got an initiative going where we had people go on our behalf to Washington, D.C., and meet with the leaders of the Black Caucus, uh, and uh, we tried to get a get a change in the parole system. We weren't weren't successful, but we were successful in bringing the the issue in front of Congress, and uh, that's basically what we want to try to duplicate this time. But uh, focusing on changing the schedule. So I just wanted to mention that to the listeners. Uh, we're going to be getting that initiative going, and we can use everybody's cooperation. It's going to be a major thing. We hope For to be sure. able to get buses coming there and everything. For sure. Taking and not people. only that, Eugene, well, let's talk about the award that we got from uh, CanDo Group, Amy Pova's group, the CanDo Foundation. Oh, uh, yeah. We got, yeah. Yes, we are now an award-winning radio show, and I'm so proud about it. Um Amy Pova gave uh, gave has does every in the end of the year she does awards, and we got the best radio show. And our it's what's such an honor about this award is for one it came from Amy Pova and the um, the Can Do Foundation, and they can do so much for the world, and they do do so much for the world. But not only did we get nominated for that award. But you should see all the other nominees for other awards. Like, it's just such an honor to be even on the same website and on the same award list as some of these people that were awarded awards. That I'm just, I'm thrilled. And this is the first award that this radio show has ever gotten. So I, I, am, I am excited. I want to thank Amy, who is actually a, a, she comes on our show quite a bit and talks about the women in prison, some of the prisoners in prison. She talks about conspiracy, and she served 16 years herself in prison. And what she does now is just phenomenal, and I'm I'm honored. What about you, Eugene? Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't say enough positive things about Amy. She's just a wonderful gal. And she's part of, uh, Kristen, she's part of the movement. I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat it because it should be said. You ladies are so dynamic, and so, and I'm so proud to be working with the women who are in this advocacy program. And, and uh, uh, you, Kristen, uh, Mindy, uh, all of the people that that are helping us in in, in Val, and uh, the people out there like Nora Callahan, Beth Curtis. Oh, Beth, Beth Curtis is coming on today, by the way. She's yep. going to speak for half an hour. Talk. Yes, and yep. that is that's that lady is. So so dynamic. I've known her now. Oof. I started to know when I was incarcerated, so it's probably been 20 years I've known her. And she just, she's so self-sacrificing and so good. And that represents so much of what this movement is all about. 
I, I listened to a program this morning on the news. I just want to say this to to, to you all, to the listeners, and to you, Christian and and uh, Mindy. And they had this lady come on, and she said she was speaking. Uh, she's an ambassador from the United States, and uh, she came on and, and she was interviewed, and they asked her uh, about what she thought of how we could get peace in the world. And you know what she said? She says, every time I see a, a, a picture of world leaders meeting, they're in gray suits, and they're all men. They don't have women there. She says, any time there's a woman involved, they really work at peace. These guys, all they think about is, you know, uh, uh, how do they make wars and so on. And she said, she said the truth. She says, bring some women into the equation, and they'll find a way to mediate to to make you know to make uh, uh, to coordinate deals, not just say hey we're going to win, period, but you know to compromise, and right. and I see that in the movement. I see that in the movement. You know, sure. uh, there's there's so much positive energy coming from you ladies, and I just want to compliment well, you all on it and say how how proud I am to work work with, with all <laughs> these women in the movement. I really am. Okay. Well, we've got we've got an amazing lady, Amanda Lance, who we're going to bring her on in just a second. That we're going to talk to, who's doing some amazing things in Michigan. But first, I just want to let all the listeners know that um, uh, Richard Delisi. I know we shared it last week on our, on our show. He was denied his appeal, and that, that as if the 28 years he served in prison in a in a state penitentiary in Florida is not enough, uh, he was denied his his release. So. Um, I was actually speaking with Stacey Tice this morning about the project. We're going we're gonna to relaunch the Richard Delisi project, the Voices of the Cannabis War. And uh, Stacey, she wants to be involved in it, and we're going to try to get his family members and his friends back involved and try to, try to have an effect on the governor out there. Also, another tad bit of news is Lance was denied his, um, all his motions to dismiss his case. So he will for sure be going to trial this week on the 7th. So if you're listening and you're from Washington and you have the day off or you can take a day off, please show up in that courtroom. It is apparent that we do not send a man to prison for 35 years to life in the state of Washington, which we call it legal in. So it's 9:10 now, so we're going to go to our first guest. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about our first guest. She She's personally a friend of mine. Not only is she a friend of mine, but she is an amazing activist um, who does so much. And in fact, she just just became a parent for pot chapter leader in Michigan because she wants to end the war in Michigan. Where Michigan is a really bad place to be at, um, as Amanda knows herself, because she has an open case there. However, you know, Michigan's terrible. The Duval family has all been caught up in Michigan. In fact, Jeremy just got out a couple weeks ago. His dad stays there, but. Michigan's bad, and we have one of our people right in the front lines out there trying to end it for the families, for the children and the mothers and the parents out there. So I'm going to bring Amanda on. Um, Where is she at? Amanda, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well on yourself. I'm I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Amanda. Um, I want to thank you for, for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. Um, Amanda, this is Eugene. Eugene, this is Amanda. So the two guys know each other. Hello. Hi, Han. (laughs) Hi. How are you, Amanda? 
I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. It's so good to hear your voice. I hear so many good things about what's happening in Michigan with you. I appreciate that. I'm working very hard. I have a pretty um, pretty tough mission statement ahead of me, but if there's anybody that can get it done, I'm pretty confident on that gal. Well, tell us. I was telling all our listeners a few minutes ago, what impresses me so much about this movement, uh, this marijuana movement, is the ladies involved. You ladies are fantastic. You make things happen that we guys can't do. And it's just that what you bring to the table is so so overwhelmingly good and positive. I just wanted to congratulate you and all the women out there listening. Well, thank you. That's very kind of oh, you. Amanda, tell us about, well, I want to know a little bit about your case that you got going on, but you brought up this mission statement that you're trying to fulfill. What is, what's the mission statement and, and what are you, what are you trying and why are you trying to fulfill it? Well, as you had mentioned, um, I have a case. It's it's not open as far as the criminal aspect of it, um, but I am appealing it at a state level. Um, not the whole case as a whole, but I am appealing the judge's uh, order to not medicate while being on probation. Um, that's a huge issue within the constraints of Michigan. It basically comes down to what judge you have, what district you're in, and the nature of your crime, whether or not they let you facilitate your medical card. Um, And that's how it's been since day one. Uh, The act was voted in in 2008 and implemented in, I believe, late March of 2009. Um, And it does clearly state in the act that unless a patient is currently incarcerated, no judge or person there of the court shall infringe upon a patient's rights. Um, it does also state that if you act outside of the, mer- the medical boundaries, that you lose your caregiver status, and 63% of Michigan voters voted on that language. So I respect that. But what I don't respect and what I won't sit down and shut up about is that any judge can act as a medical professional and tell me or any other patient, card-holding patient, that they can't be a patient themselves. Um, so that's where I'm at with my appeal. It's sitting in Lansing right now. Um, I'm the third or fourth person that's attempted this appeal, and I've gotten three steps farther with it than anybody else has. Um, my attorney is Joshua Covert. He's out of East Lansing, and he has been doing some phenomenal work in the state uh, regarding actually changing the laws he exposed um, a month ago, um, some pretty pertinent information about Michigan laboratories submitting false information on a circuit level. Um, And he's also working on the unlegalized bill. Uh, He was one of the founders of the language of that. And he also has been working very diligently um, putting an end to CPS uh, and their dirty tactics in Michigan. A lot of people don't realize CPS is is just like the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, they assume that it's a government institution when in actuality they're contractual through the government. Um, and Josh himself has had a run-in with CPS. Once he started exposing what they were doing, they actually came at his family and targeted him. So he's wow. a great attorney. I highly recommend him to anybody in Michigan that needs a medical marijuana lawyer. 
that's really all he specializes in. He doesn't really take any other cases. So he knows that he knows the marijuana language here front and back. Uh he's great. Um, so Amanda, we're, we're certainly if you were if you were to get drug tested, does that mean you would go to jail? Because if if you were to smoke and get tested, would you be and you tested positive, would you go to jail? Yes. Wow. Yes. So my my appeal is basically um Anybody that has had a card prior to their arrest, it's protecting their rights. Um, we're very confident that the appeal is going to go through. A couple of weeks ago, an attorney out of Detroit that has uh, also been specializing in medical marijuana cases named David Rudoy, he, he had a client that the judge initially put in his probationary terms that he was not to be utilizing his, his patient's rights. And David submitted a motion to stay on the probationary terms based on my appeal. Once the judge looked over my appeal, he actually granted the motion to stay, and now the client is able to medicate while on probation until the outcome of my appeal at least. So even though it hasn't quite worked for me yet, it is definitely reaching out and helping other people, and that's Honestly, that's what gets me through every day is thinking about how many people, how many people's lives are riding on this appeal. Um, I actually have my card for my scoliosis and my severe IBS. I'm also struggling right now. I'm kind of panting because I have a dislocated rib right now, and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not in excruciating pain. And when I feel like I really wish I could medicate, I just really try to hone in and focus on all the other people, thousands of people that I'm helping with this appeal. So that's what's, that's what's getting me through at the end of the day. So and you're now sacrificing I'm, your own life to help others. That is such a beautiful thing to hear from you, Amanda. Thank you. That's beautiful. Wow. That's really kind of you to put yourself out there like that and fight this um, in that way for that. Um so now you are, you have said, okay, you, you mentioned that they're taking children and that the CPS is corrupt. Um, and then a couple yeah. of days ago I saw on your Facebook that you said um, that you are going to be a chapter coordinator for Parents for Pot in Michigan. And the statement you made on Facebook was just affected me a lot because to see somebody say, hey, I'm going to take this on, and it's a hard job. It's a hard job taking on you know, a whole chapter of a, a group in a, in a state like that where it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. Tell us about it, it, Parents for Pot and what's driven you to that point. Um, I'm I'm really excited just to know you just because you're, you're a chapter coordinator for them. I absolutely love them. In fact, I'm a member. Mindy's a member. Becca's a member. Um, and we love Parents for Pot. But what what are you doing with Parents for Pot? And what's, what is well, Parents for Pot to the listeners that don't know? Well, Parents for Pot is a national organization. Um, our main objective is to end prohibition, uh, obviously for families particularly. Um, I think pretty much anybody that would listen to this show can agree on one thing. We might all have a different path of how we think to end prohibition, but we all could agree, number one, that society is really messed up, and you cannot fix the outside like that without fixing it from the inside out. So therefore, from the home outward. Um, And another thing I think everybody can agree on is no matter how ridiculous 
and uninsightful adults can be when they don't see the bigger picture, the bottom line is at the end of the day, it is the children that suffer the most. And it really doesn't matter if it's about prohibition or just two parents that have separated and can't get along or whatever it is. When adults are not acting in the the proper way and fending for the children and not seeing the bigger picture, it's the kids that suffer. And for sure. I've been approached... I've been approached um, many times to be in many groups, particularly in Michigan, um, and even to play some leadership roles in Michigan. And I've turned every one of them down very easily because, number one, with that, there's a lot of infighting within the the boundaries of Michigan. And that's a very unfortunate thing to say, but it's a reality. Um, There's tons of small little can of groups that are speckled through the state. And everybody just kind of has their own intent, their own agendas. Um, and so I'm really hoping by being the chapter coordinator for the state that I can bring all these different groups together, not necessarily diverting them away from their, their home group, whatever that may be, but we should all be in agreement that we need to fight this fight for the kids. Um, through the years of my activism, I've been approached by many people asking, how could you put your face out there like that, especially when I lived in Ohio, and it's they don't have any kind of medical program or it's not legal there. You know, it's decrim there, but, you know, I, my answer was always the same. And sometimes I would even show people the pictures of my kids and say, look, see these two people right here? I'm fighting for these two people. Any good parent should want to be able to fight a fight for their children so they don't have to. So I'm hoping that I can bring some unity finally to the state um, by doing it in, in the name of the kids. Um, right. I am, I've already accomplished more in four days than has been accomplished for, because <laughs> the chapter's actually been going for about a year and a half, and I've already got two team leaders. Um, I've divided the state into six sections, six, six regions, if you will, I'm actively looking for a treasurer and a secretary. I already have a meeting place uh, in the central part of the state. We'll be having a meeting once, once a month, and I'm ready to do this. I mean, there's been more more parents that have went to jail for marijuana and more parents that have lost their children due to being patients since 2009 than there was in the 20 years prior. There's a, that's, that's a big problem, and that needs to be tackled. Um, as far as on a national level, um, I'm already pursuing some new ideas. I've brought some new things to the table to John, Donna Jean uh, Ryder and to Tori and a few of the other uh, bigger leaders within the group nationally that I just, I, I really want Michigan to be a powerhouse in this organization and lead the way because we just, we, it's such a mess here. Um, it is, the, it is. It is. It is a huge mess. Uh, we have a lot of prisoners that came from Michigan. And one thing I want right. to I want to mention, um, Parents for Pot, what they do for our prisoners' kids at the holidays is like um, putting a Band-Aid on an open wound and making it better is what is what they do out there. And I don't know about you, but I think Parents for Pot, um, because our Christmas drive, they help so many families and children. Um, of parents that were in prison for a plant or parents who have been suffering for a plant. So for you to be part of that group, it, it means a lot to the whole world. It, it does. Parents for Pot means 
everything. And to have you guys in Michigan where it's really bad is like putting a big old Band-Aid over the state. I'd love it. Right. Well, with my own case, you know, I've seen my own children suffer more than I have myself even. You know, I mean, right. it's, it's a grueling process to go through court proceedings, you know, all the mornings. I had 11 appearances total every morning that I had to go and leave them with somebody else to get them on the bus, you know, and sitting in court, even when the judge was talking to me, all I could think where my mind was at was how are my kids doing in school today because they know mom's in court, you know. Um, It's taken a huge toll on my kids, and honestly, my kids have been my biggest supporters. Um, I've never shielded from my children um, what cannabis is, what it does for me, um, they both have approached me more times than I can count in the last six months since I was ordered not to medicate and telling me, you know, that I'll make it and reminding me of how many people I'm helping and honestly crying with me and telling me that they want their mom back because it's hard for me to get out and physically participate with them and be the mom that they grew up with since I don't have cannabis. So honestly, I mean, I just, I give my biggest props to my kids. I think they're just awesome people. And um, I know I'm raising two really strong little warriors, and I couldn't be prouder about that. Um, Amanda, Amanda, I'd like to make the observation in support of what you said. Uh, I did 25 years incarcerated, and my family, my kids, did that time with me. And it became my grandkids were doing the time with me, too. And I saw mm-hmm. that over and over. The destruction to the family is horrible. And we should, we got to support all the kids of anyone who's doing time. I agree with you 100%. The most tear-wrenching thing to see is visiting room in a prison when the children come in to see their parents. It's just, uh, I wish every American could just witness that and then think again about about sentences and so on. I also wanted to make this point to you, too. I want to reinforce what you're saying about the civil suit. All the geniuses of law, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, but I became a jailhouse lawyer in my time in prison, and everyone told me, you can't win a f- criminal case with a civil case. And you want to know something? I got out of prison on a civil case. I brought... I brought something I couldn't bring in a criminal case in a civil case, and I got out. So don't demean every anyone. Never demean the civil process and and how it can affect the criminal. It can, it can. Right, I totally agree. And uh, quite frankly, I'm actually looking into. Um, I'm trying to to band with one of the um, American Civil Liberty Union attorneys here in the state. And I'm actually looking at a huge class action lawsuit against the state, against the two counties that participated in my probation, along with the judge, the clerk, and the transcriptionist. Um, Pretty much everybody that had a hand in signing paperwork saying that I couldn't facilitate my patient's rights. Everybody but the prosecutor, which many people also don't know, is that there's actually federal standards against suing a prosecutor. And that's something that really needs to be addressed. I heard you earlier talking about going to Washington, D.C. and approaching the President and Congress regarding 
changing scheduling. Um, this is something that also needs to be done at a congressional level. That needs to change because the prosecutor actually has more say in what happens in a criminal case than even the judge does. Essentially, the judge is a puppet and right. hands down the sentence according to the prosecution. So that's something that really needs to be addressed, and that needs to be addressed at because they need to be um, held responsible for their actions. Well, we're um, we're going to be working on it, and we just can't do it ourselves. So we are reaching out. We're trying to try to get all the pris- some prisoners together. Um, we're also going to try to get other groups involved. So we'd love to have have you guys on our team in order to be able to get get out there and and get get it make it happen. Um, so I I hope you'd want to work with us on that in the future too, Amanda. Absolutely. But we definitely want to get out there. Amanda, Amanda, we would like you. We're going to give you an invitation right now. We're going to try to get funding. And what we'd like to see is a bus full of people from that you bring a bus full of people from Michigan into D.C. Stacy's bus. Yeah. We want we want Stacy to give us a ride and no cannabis. And Stacy's <laughs> going to do. Stacy's going to be our co- transportation coordinator. But we're going to hire buses from all over and, and bring them in. We gotta, we're going to look for the funding uh, for, for the, from, from uh, nonprofit organizations that uh, funding that can give it to us. Uh, but wouldn't that be neat if you could get a bus full of Michigan people and bring them into D.C.? We would love to. We would love to. And I also would like to mention in regards to Parents for Pot and particularly for the, for the Michigan chapter as we're doing this official launch, um, any any uh, business within the cannabis industry should be donating to Parents for Pot because yep. the yep. bottom line is, if they're especially if they're in it for the right reason, a majority of their patients are going to be children, and I don't like the idea of seeing businesses flourish and capitalize on kids and then not give back. So I'm a real big believer in karma, and I encourage particularly all the Michigan businesses within the cannabis industry to be donating to our, our cause. Oh, so you guys, we do have Craig. Change. Amanda, I don't want to interrupt oh. you, but we do have Craig calling, and I didn't think he'd be able to bring make it. Bring him on. Um, hold on, Amanda, okay? We'll get right back to back. No to the problem. Place. He's calling from prison. Hold on. Well, we got George following him, uh, uh, Craig, though. Remember that. We're waiting. We're waiting on Craig Cecil right now. Uh, Christian is bringing him on, and I'm just filling in while while that's happening. Uh, we were interviewing a very great a- a- advocate. Good morning. Out of- Hello. Good I didn't think you were going to. Gindy said you weren't going to be able to make it in. No, but uh, our phones weren't working, and they weren't expected to work until Monday. But they started working last night. So. Oh. Cool. Good morning, Greg. Hi. We were just Good morning, talking. Kate. We were just talking to Amanda Latz. She's a she just she's just stepped up in Michigan and said that she wants to be a parents for pot chapter coordinator. So we were hearing all about what was going on in Michigan and what she, what she was what she was doing out there. Um, but I I read a message that you sent Mindy about um, your diet this week. Yes, actually, it's for a couple of weeks. Maybe more. <laughs> oh my God. I can I can guess it's bologna sandwiches. 
Is bologna sandwiches, Craig? Yes. Yes, bologna yeah, sandwiches I, I, and chips. I used to hate those bag lunches like you can't imagine like you do. I used to hate them. I, I, they, they were the worst food in the world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But what they're doing here is they're uh, apparently a bunch of uh, officers are going to be out for retraining during January. So they they're not allowing overtime, so therefore they don't have the staff to do a lot of things. So they won't be cooking us any supper. We won't get supper, but instead, with our lunch, we'll get a bag with a bologna sandwich and a bag of chips, and they say that's your supper. So you get lunch plus plus the bag of chips plus the bologna sandwich. Right, and that that's instead of supper, essentially, and a bunch of other things. Uh, there's no law library and some other things because they say they just. This call is from a federal prison. They just don't have the staff to man these areas, which. That's quite a change. <laughs> it's a very simple solution, Craig. Let's cut some people loose from the, from prison. Then they don't need too many people. <laughs> I agree. There's much too many people in prison, especially serving terribly long sentences for marijuana and even other drugs. As you know, I, I have a, a very solid complaint to why do people on drug charges have sentences much longer than the people that commit violent crimes. <laughs> it all started It all started with Richard Nixon when they started this war on drugs, and all of a sudden we've got half of our prison population that are made of drug offenders who haven't hurt anybody, and of those half, uh, half of them are marijuana offenders. It doesn't make any sense. Like I say, the guideline for rape for a first-time offender is 33 to 41 months. The guideline for marijuana is 121 to 151 months plus enhancements. Now, Greg, I, I, mean, Greg, who, I would ask you the question. Like I would ask you the question. When you look at this, and then you write, it makes no sense. It's almost like it's. It, People have decided that's a way to build prisons and keep people incarcerated, don't you think? That's absolutely true. Another thing you'll notice is, especially um, over the last 10 years where they've went on a huge binge to build all kinds of prisons, the prisons were generally put in the poorest parts of the country. There's prisons all throughout Appalachia and some of the really poor parts of the country. So really, (laughs) it's a... really like a welfare system. It's to make jobs for all these people in these really uh, depressed areas. Uh, It would seem to me there are better ways of making making jobs. Well, it seems to me like a way to just incarcerate massive, massive people to get them to work for less than 12 cents an hour. It seems like almost basically free labor, you know, if you can get somebody who, you know, I believe, of course, that, you know, drug crimes, believe, drug, drug people who are addicted to drugs believe need to be in the healthcare system more so than the prison system. So, you know, they need help, not necessarily punishment. And I think it's a big um, waste of a bunch of lives as we make the government rich off of, off of slave labor. Uh, I agree. 
I agree. And uh, I mean, the prisons just house so many mentally ill people that, like you say, they don't belong in a prison. They belong in some sort of hospital and some sort of treatment. And the BOP definitely doesn't give them, you know, the psychological or the psychiatric treatment that they need. For sure. It's a... It's a system that forgets about people. (laughs) For sure. Craig, did you know that this radio show um, won an award through the CanDo? Amy Pova, at the end of the year, she gives awards out, and we won the Best Radio Show Award. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Yes, it's awesome. (laughs) We're really excited. You're you're part of that award. Yes. Craig, you're part of that award because you're part of the program. People listen to hear your voice. (laughs) <laughs> well, you have to start your war of shame. You've got your first trophy. <laughs> <laughs> but you are making a difference. As you notice, uh, there's, even during the political campaigns, there's more and more talk of mass incarceration and what are you going to do about it. And For instance, the Clintons spent a bunch of time backpedaling uh Against uh, all the mass incarceration that occurred during the uh, uh, the Clinton administration back in the 90s, and they're really backpedaling. Uh, even Bill Clinton said that, uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I believe a lot of that was a mistake. Big mistake. I agree. I was incarcerated while that happened. Everyone thought he was going to bring a change, and he didn't. It was a change for the worse. But uh, I, I want to make this comment to you, Craig. Uh, I was just speaking to uh, Beth Curtis, who you know well, and she's going to be on today, by the way. Uh, and uh, uh, she mentioned that she just went to New Orleans on a conference with the, with the Koch brothers. Now, for all our listeners, uh, people out there, the Koch brothers are a, one of the biggest donors of conservative uh, causes in the country. I want to repeat that. One of the biggest donors. They're very... The two of the wealthiest Americans there are, and they're the biggest among the biggest donor, donators, donors to giving funds to conservative movements. And guess what they just did? They sponsored a program in New Orleans in which Beth participated, and they flew people in from all over the country to talk about changing the marijuana laws. I want to repeat: they 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 flew Beth in. They put people people from all over the country talking about this very thing and about how our judicial system was misfocused, completely misfocused. Also, for everyone's uh, knowledge and and understanding, President Obama said in the the last year of his term, one of the primary focuses he is going to have is on changing the judicial system. And it's a very simple very simple answer to all of that. We're doing something wrong when we have the greatest number of people in the world incarcerated. America, the land of the free, incarcerates more of its citizens than any other country in the world. Something's wrong with that equation, don't you think, Greg? Greg? Absolutely, and and you've probably seen the statistic that the United States holds 5% of the world's population, yet 27% of the world's prisoners. That's a stark contrast, especially when we look at some really uh, out-of-control countries like Somalia and the, and the likes of that. 
but yet the United States holds one-fourth of the, the world's prisoners. And you have to ask, what, what is it really accomplishing? What does, you know, what did putting me in prison really accomplish for the American people other than I probably cost them between my incarceration costs and prosecution costs and all that, I've cost them the better part of a million dollars instead of paying taxes like I was up to the day I was arrested. So, I mean, it's really a misdirected program. Uh, Originally, the war on drugs was to stop violent crime. It didn't work. The war on drugs and all the laws that they perpetuated behind it, yes, it put away people longer in prison, but it also, uh, drugs proliferated. There's actually more marijuana and more of the other drugs, and they're cheaper out there now than when they started the war on drugs back in the 1970s. It certainly failed. Taking away people's lives with life sentences for marijuana and 30 and 40, 50 year sentences for other drugs, it just doesn't make any sense and it doesn't work. And I think the rest of the world has proven that where they have, um, it's harder to get drugs there and they have a whole lot less people on much, much, much shorter sentences for drugs. So our war on drugs has failed and it's about time they admit it and uh, start over again. Wow. Um, I'm wondering, it's 2016 now, and you're eating, um, you're going on your, probably your 14th year in prison. Um, you're eating bologna sandwiches. You don't have access to your children. You don't have access to women. You don't have access to the Internet. You don't have, um, you can't leave to go to the grocery store. Uh, all your freedom is gone. All of it, and been calling into our rate to the radio show, um, not this this one, but the Human Solutions Show now for a couple years, trying to get yourself freed. And in that time, we've gathered letters for you at events, we've held signs for you, we've talked about you. Um, the president has stacks of letters that that across not just us, but people from across the nation have got signed. Um, if you could say, if you think you're going to get free this year, would you say, yes, you're going to get free this year? Because I'd say that you are. We just we just got three other prisoners freed, and I'm hoping that the next batch of letters that President Obama, um, the next batch of clemencies that he gives to people, I'm just hoping that one of them is going to be you so that you don't have to spend the rest of your life eating bologna sandwiches, not being able to go to the grocery store, not being able to do anything that we all get to do on a sleep in your own house on a daily basis. I mean, I, I'm, 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 when you think about, okay, you're in prison and we hear you in prison, it's got to click somewhere around the world that you need your freedom back. And it's not, not fair that you're in there. And hopefully that'll be this year. I mean, I'm just, I'm just laying out the scenario for everybody to grasp that he, that he needs to be freed along with all of our other prisoners instantly. It's 2016 now. And I think you've heard that the letters are making a difference already. My daughter got a letter directly from uh, Deborah Leff, the pardon attorney in Washington, D.C., acknowledging the letters and uh, adding a few more things in the letter back back to my daughter who had forwarded letters to the pardon attorney's office. So the letters are getting noticed. So those letters really do make a difference. Uh, I mean, that... Right. The last I heard, I, I believe there's about twelve or 13,000 applications pending, 
at the pardon attorney's office. But those letters and all that are really making a difference to make mine stand out. Because mine, the pardon attorney sent a letter to my daughter. So my petition is getting noticed because of the letters that you've orchestrated. And it really does make a difference. Well, I hope you're next, Craig. I hope you're next. I'm I'm thinking about it. I mean, I don't know how often he how often he's doing his clemencies, but from what I understand, he's going to release like thousands and thousands of prisoners. So, I mean, I just hope your name is on the next next batch of prisoners because you really do not deserve to be there any longer than you already have. Well, as you know, when they started the uh, clemency project initiative, there was talk about uh, releasing up to or about 10,000 prisoners. And uh, so I'm really thrilled about that. So far, the president has released, I believe it's 184. And uh, and he is pushing, I mean, or, or the White House is pushing, and so many groups are pushing for the pardon attorney's office to expedite a whole lot of petitions. So I hope I'm there. I hope John Knox is there. I hope so many others that really don't, don't need to be in prison, and it's not in the Americans' interest for us to be in prison. Hopefully, we're on that list. And I am really excited. I, I, I just, I really believe this will be the year. I cannot wait for the day that you can come and call into our show and it not be from prison. Like, you're still good when you get out. You're still going to have your 15 minutes, but it's going to be on your on your terms, not not their terms. <laughs> right. As you know, I'm excited about the efforts of Gene and uh, Mike and. I, I think that that might actually uh, have more uh, possibilities right. than, than even the president. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. But the phone's going to hang up, up, and I just want to say I'll be on email to you about that. Hey, Craig, I'll be on the email Great, to you about that. Okay. I think he's getting cut off, uh, Christian. Okay, listeners, that was... Craig Cecil, who has served 13 years out of a life sentence for marijuana, and he never even got caught with any marijuana. So, I mean, it shows that the conspiracy laws, which you can um, hopefully we'll be having a show about conspiracy coming up. Yeah, Eugene? Christian, I read his case. Wasn't that he didn't get caught with any marijuana. He wasn't involved in the marijuana business directly. He was repairing trucks that had been used by other people to smuggle marijuana, and for that he got a life sentence. And I want to say this. Mathematically, Christian, if we take an average of $50,000 a year to keep a man like Craig in the institutions he's been in, and he's been down 13 years, the government already has has spent almost three-quarters of a million dollars in prison costs on him. Right, right. Well, to we say nothing of the cost of trial and everything else. Well, we've still got Amanda Lass on the line. Oh, she just connected there, so no, I don't know. George um, is on right now, okay? George Christian. is not on right now. George, George has not oh, called okay. in yet. Oh, I thought he was. Okay. We, we, yeah, George has not called in yet, and Amanda has dropped off. So I just want to say a conclusion to Amanda's interview. You guys, that was Amanda Latch you were hearing earlier, and if you want to – um, go to help her in Michigan. You can Google her at A-M-A-N-D-A. It's Latz, L-A-T-Z. Um, we, you can let her know that you want to help in Michigan, and she will, she will coordinate um, your efforts. So check her out. 
Um, while we wait for George to come on, I think we're going to bring Mindy on for her Mindy update. She has lots of news right from the front lines of, from the prisoners themselves. And some news going on in Idaho she's going to tell us about. Good morning, Mindy. Are you there? I am. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Eugene. How are you guys? Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, I guess I'll start with out of Idaho. A, a lot of people might already know this, but Sarah Frank from Moms for Marijuana uh, organized a um, smoke out at the Capitol building, which happens, you know, all over the country in lots of different um, places. There was one here in Oregon as well. But um, she apparently was arrested and charged with misdemeanor charges of possession and of marijuana and paraphernalia. Um, was released, and um, it looks like if I'm, you know, if the stories are right that I'm reading, her she's facing her uh, court appearance on January 19th, and um, no, I, I don't, you know, a misdemeanor charge. She's probably not facing jail time, but this is uh, right up all of our alleys. So if you're anywhere near Idaho, get to that courtroom, stand up with her. She stood up for us on those court steps and took the hit, so it's our turn to stand up for her, in my opinion. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Let's see, what else is going on in the world? I wanted to bring attention to Chris Martin. He is a a POW in Arizona. He's in a state facility there. And his family... um, has been denied visitation, his wife. She was a co-defendant in the case, and because of that, from what I understand, the um, judges and the system will not allow him to get visits from her. Um, so he hasn't seen his, his kids and his wife for um, months now, and he's still facing a, a little over a year of time. So any uh, support or efforts you can give to him and his family um, is greatly needed. You can find um, there's a free Chris Martin Facebook page. You can also Google him on face or look him up on Facebook, and his page is still being run by his wife. So um, there's pl- plenty of ways for you to find Chris Martin. Um, I really highly encourage people to write to him. He does not get very many letters. Um, Farrell Scott. He is um, a federal prisoner in Pennsylvania. His birthday was January 2nd, and I just want to make sure and send a big shout-out to him and his family that they were a family that Parents for Pot supported for the first time this year. And um, it was his grandchildren who ended up receiving the gifts that people purchased through Parents for Pot. Um, it was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. So I I'm just want to make sure and happy birthday to him. Um, I wanted to bring up Scott Walt. We've been talking about him a lot. Uh, Scott is um, at the end of his 24 and a half year sentence. 24 oh and a half. God. A quarter of a lifetime. A quarter oh. of a lifetime. Eugene he knows how being, feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, he is being released because of time served, and uh, he has had some wonderful help and advocates out there collecting clothes and helping him find a place to live and vehicles. Stacy Tice talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, you can also look him up on Facebook, and there's plenty of ways. As Also, there's a GoFundMe if you're interested in help supporting his transition. Um, but I'd like to encourage people to also – 
reach out to him personally, even if you can't afford to send him money or to get him clothes or anything like that. Um, you know, once they get out, what friends do they have? So, you know, reach out to Scott Walt if you can. In Oregon, there's been a couple things going on. First thing is, is our beloved The Other Spot. Chris and I rave about this place all the time. Oh, I'm sad to say rest in peace to The Other Spot. They have been closed. Um, Not necessarily because of the laws. There was more complications due to um, the place that they were renting. The landlord didn't keep it up, and so they had some issues with that, too. So it was a combination of things, but the other spot is closed, and we're still waiting to see what happens with the rest of the cannabis cafes um, and smoking lounges now that they're trying to make it illegal to have them here in Oregon. And lastly, Christy Groshi. This is a lady that I wrote about back um, several months ago in the Northwest Lease, and she um, had had over 30 miscarriages prior to her um, using um, Rick Simpson oil or fecal oil or however you know however you want to call it. She started con- using this medicine to help her with other ailments, and as a result, she was able to carry a baby. Last time I, know, um, I talked to you guys, she was about 20 weeks along, and I just want to let yeah. you know that the baby has been born. He was a little premature, but he is now home, gaining weight, healthy and happy, and Cannabis does save, and in this particular case, her doctors encouraged her to continue to use cannabis, and she was not given any hassle about being a cannabis consumer as and, and a mom and, and giving birth to a baby in a hospital, and so many people are afraid of that, um, and she's a success story, so I just wanted to make sure and point that out, but that's that's what I've got oh, wow. for today, Kristen. Yay. Well, um, thanks, Mindy, for your update. I'm I was burnt out. I was sad when I hear you talk about the other spot closing down. They're they're beautiful people to our prisoners, and um, I, I'm, they're beautiful people to parents for pot too. That's that's the other side of it. The freedom, the people that that our prisoners leave oh, yeah. little ones. We I, had a, the parents for pot had their meetings there, and then parents for pot you know invited me as one of their members to come in and talk about prisoners and. And, I mean, it was just a great way to network with each other to get information and, and support. And so for it to not be there anymore is discouraging for me. Wow. Oh, all right, Mindy. Um, anything about um, the the prisoner that's getting released? I forget his name right off. When I oh, put Chad, on, uh, Chad Latham. Yeah. Chad Latham, Yes. He is at his halfway house, and he has wow. a Gmail account. <laughs> it was so exciting. He sent me an actual real email, um, and he was very happy that he was getting a couple hours of out of the halfway house to visit with family. And um, it sounds like his transitioning is into the um, other side of the world is going well. Um, he is a, he's blessed. He's got a lot of support and has, and his family has been there and close to him, you know, him in Tacoma, their family in Tacoma and him in Sheridan, Oregon, was was really only a handful of hours compared to across the country or several states that many people have to go through. So he was able to maintain those connections and that support system in a way that not all of them do. And I'm really hopeful that that's going to help make his, um, his release that much better. Well, that's cool because, you know, I'm from Tacoma and here we've got a man who was granted clemency by 
President Obama, the President of the United States of America. So we'll have a, a plant prisoner up here in order to be able to be a big, strong voice for everybody else, hopefully. So I'm anxious that he's returning to our our our, our part of the world, Mindy. We can we can um, definitely show his sacrifices through his story and put a real face to this prisoner that's been locked up for, I think you said, over 10 years? Like 13 uh, yeah, years approximately or 14 years? 10 years. I believe, I, I believe he had a 14 or 15-year sentence, and he was released two years early is the way I remember it. We, well, we have a beautiful voice right from our area. I can't wait to to get him involved and get him active in our movement if he wants to be. If he don't want to be, I can understand that. He's been in prison for 10 years. But I, these, these prisoners are coming out. Their voices are amazing as to what's happened to them, why they've been gone. So I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. Uh, but thanks, Mindy. Is there anything else you would like to include in your update this morning? Nope. Just Happy New Year to everybody. This is the year we got to get our people free. Cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Have a good day, hon. You too. All right, you guys, while we wait for George to come on, we're going to talk to Stephanie Landa, who is also a big Band-Aid for our, for our war, who raises commissary money for our plant prisoners who are behind bars. And this year around Christmas time, she raised a couple thousand dollars. So while Parents for Pot were taking care of the children, Stephanie was taking care of their their family members in prison. So I want to put Stephanie on while we wait for George and while we wait for uh, Beth Curtis to call in. Good morning, Stephanie. Hi. How are you guys? We're doing oh, great. great. How are How- you? Um, I'm great. Everything's going okay. Um, we're having a big push. Uh, I finally got the nonprofit. And Monday tomorrow, I open up a bank account, like a real in a bank. I guess anybody have any? No, wait, hold on. Anybody you got the nonprofit? Yeah, and I have to open. Yes, a bank congratulations! Now. Yay! Oh my <laughs> gosh, that that is a huge deal. That's awesome. I know. And what and is it called? Freedom Grow. Do this. Yeah, no, it's Freedom okay. Grow. Remember okay, the let was somebody else took the let. Anyway, um, so Freedom Grow. And it's uh, now it's a nonprofit, and tomorrow I'm going to have a bank account. Um, if anybody knows of a good bank that I should go to, um, I will, since I don't know of any bank ever. This is a whole <laughs> new thing to me. But <laughs> moving on into the bank world, um, they let they're letting me have a bank account to take care of the people that they lock up for pot. They don't let people that have pot have bank accounts. But if they lo- they get locked up and you want to take care of them, you can have a bank account. Amazing. Such an upside-down wow. world we have. <laughs> I mean, it's just Aww. so upside-down. It's amazing. But we're, a lot of people are really interested now that it's a nonprofit and a lot of big extract companies and big other names that Dr. Dina knows are going to cool. get involved and I think give us like at the LA Cup, which is the end of January and the first weekend in February, the last weekend in January, the first weekend in February, and the prisoners will be there. Well, I'll be the only real ex-prisoner, but they'll be, you know, for the prisoners, um, we're going to have coffee, tea, and chocolate, hot chocolate, medicated and non-medicated. And all the money, even the money that it costs to do everything, is all... We're not going to take any expenses off the top. Every penny is going to go on commissary. 
Wow. Night. Um, please, everybody come by, throw money at us. I have a feeling that people are going to throw large amounts of money at us. So we're going to have to, like, get our list together. Instead of getting our Christmas list, we're going to get our Valentine's list. And so we'll <laughs> together, and then I will pump up everybody's commentary. Hopefully we're going to be able to I make, got, you know, yeah. put hundreds on everybody. You know, I mean, I'm just like, maybe thousands, who knows? Well, we won't put it in all at one time because then the government will take it away. Another Please. weird thing about the government. Give your friends money in prison and if they owe money, forget it. You're paying the government. Oh, my God. Upside down world. I guess I'm just on a rant oh. this morning. Sorry. I've decided that I just don't understand. I cannot understand how this medicine could be keeping people in jail for decades or even one minute or even strip searched one time. The whole right. thing is just, it's so alienating. I get up in the morning and I think, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, people have lost their minds. They have just completely lost their minds. So that's what I have to say today, everybody. Okay, Um. good, good, good. (laughs) I'm excited. No, what what you're doing right now, having that nonprofit and having a way to earn the commissary money and getting out there and doing it, I mean, that's a dream come true for our people who are only making 12 cents an hour and can't even afford toothpaste or... You know, commissary oh, I know. food. Oh, I know. You know, so I know. It's crazy. It's crazy when you're, you're in doing prison. It. If you're in prison for pot, you should. we should be throwing our money at them. And, of course, right. I love Mickey Martin. Mickey Martin gave Sherry and I an honor of being inspiring. We're like, aw. And they gave your radio <laughs> show an honor. How great. That's so yes, great. Yes, they, I know. They gave I everybody know. I like honors. And then, yeah, I know. And they gave everybody I didn't like honors. It was great. <laughs> Hats off to Mickey Martin. I have to say that you know, like, how many people have the fucking guts to come out and say what they're really thinking? Not that many. Yeah. You know, right. I have to tell Mickey what I think so that he can tell other people. You know, <laughs> he's the voice. He's the one. I know. He's a great voice because he really does even things out. It's like, and even the people that got horrible awards, they really have to think, wow, did I, really, I'm doing this? They probably don't even think that, but they should. It should be like the wake-up call for them. For sure. So, Stephanie, where's everything in Washington? (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say is, I, I wanna we wanna I wanna help, you know, at the, we got these events out here that I go to quite a bit, so I'm wondering what we can do at our next event to help raise commissary money on a national level for our prisoners for for Freedom Grow so that we can contribute to the to the pile as well. So think think of I'm some ways the to put hot chocolate seems to be a winner. Okay, well like, I mean, nobody what, minded that it was like five dollars for regular and ten dollars for medicated. And it seemed to, like, really work. People just okay. were so happy, and it was so yummy. Sherry made well, it. It was yummy. <laughs> you can put us to work. I mean, so. yeah, she made all the chocolate, and then just some of it was medicated. 
Yum, yum, yum. And she's a, she is Cannabis Sherry. She is a cook with written cookbooks to be able to get right. some of her hot chocolate on behalf of our prisoners and help them with commissary at the same time. It just sounds like everybody wins. Yeah. We only had like about 12 pounds of the Blazers Cup and we ran out. And oh, wow. we ran out the first day. And so now we're she's making a hundred pounds for the cannabis cup in LA. Kristen, yeah. come down and help us. What when is it? When is the cannabis cup in it's LA? The last weekend in January and the first weekend in February. It's two okay. weekends. So okay. I would like love you to help us any oh, day. And I have I would, you I could, yeah. yeah, come down. Come down, please. We need help. Okay. Sherry and I are like ah, <laughs> but like re- I mean, they give us a quarter. Oz gives us a quarter of their booth. So, like, okay. the prison outreach is a big part of the whole thing. And it's in the medicated area. So it's, like, okay. very it's very exciting to have a nonprofit in an area that the booths are, like, tens of thousands of dollars. So it's – we're lucky. We're so lucky. Yeah. Dr. Yes, Dina, yes. On the back end, I want to. Vinny's on the back end of the and the web uh, on their site here saying, "I want to help. I want to help. I wish I could go." So maybe me and me, 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 me can find a way to drive down there or something to to get down there. But yeah, I would love to go down there for that and help out with the raising thousands of dollars for prisoners' commissary money. Heck yeah, I, I know. I want, I want yeah. My best. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. You know, like come down, help us because it's like. Uh, I want you to. <laughs> you can, well, we'll do that. <laughs> and then you could then you can announce it for the next four weeks on your radio show that you're coming down to help, and people can come down and meet you. Yeah, yeah. I have lots of friends down in, in Southern California that I'd love to meet up with too. So they could come and see me there. Oh. <laughs> right. Well, thank yeah, you. you could bring um, in money. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, um, thank Just you, Jeff. We're gonna. Um, we've got an interview with Beth Curtis, who you are good oh, friends nice. with as well. Hi, Beth. I love her. In fact, uh, while we're waiting, we're waiting for George Monterano to call in. Um, let's put Beth on the phone right now, and we can all say hi, and then we can start our interview with Beth. Good morning, Beth. Hello. How are you, Kristen? We're good. We've got good morning, Beth. Good morning, and and is Eugene there too? Yes. Eugene, good morning, Beth. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Right. So good to hear you. Well, it's good to hear you. I woke up this morning and I I lost my voice, so Uh-oh. I um. I know. I'm lucky to be talking. I've been gargling with everything, just using the honey and lemon. And so I, it's I, it's not good, but it'll do. Okay. Uh, I just want to say, Beth, there's a lot of people listening to hear you because you've got a lot of admirers and people who love you are listening, tuned in to listen to you. Well, thank you. I I want to introduce you to our listeners. Um, for our listeners, Beth Curtis is an advocate for our plant prisoners and has been an advocate for our plant prisoners basically about 25 years since I know of the early 90s um, because her brother went to prison. And her brother, and Beth, this blows my mind every time I have to say it out loud, is serving two 
life sentences plus 20 years for our plants. And I believe he's been locked up since 1994, um, and today is 2016. Um, so Beth has made it apparent to bring other life prisoners to the front lines, stories, and her website, Life for Pot, and worked with Eugene while Eugene was in prison to come up with a list of our prisoners who are serving life sentences. So for our listeners, Beth Curtis is definitely has been there for decades doing what, what we should have all been doing for decades, and that's bring attention to our people serving um, long sentences for marijuana. Um, how's that going, Beth? It's 2016 now. And some of them are getting released. How's that? How's oh, that it, it's uh, it's very hopeful right now. Um, that's true. Eugene probably was one of, besides my brother, one of the first people I put up on the Life for Pot site. And um, he actually helped me find uh, a couple other people that were serving life sentences. Now, when I I was looking essentially for people who had definitely life sentences, life without parole. Uh, since that time, I've put, put, expanded a little bit and uh, now have de facto life sentences. And because if you're 40 years old and you get a 50-year sentence, that's essentially a life sentence. But um, or or there, like um, my dad who or like my dad who got sentenced to five years, but his life wasn't even um, long enough to last four months. That is when your lifespan is longer than your sentence. That's true. That's that's right. absolutely the case, and it's it's tragic, and. Uh, your your father's story is very sobering, <laughs> to say the least. That that can happen, um, yeah, in the United States. Okay. Um, yeah, I I actually my brother was actually indicted in uh, 1994. He was um, <clears throat> not incarcerated until 1996, and uh, he. He's been incarcerated ever since 1996 for this offense. He was a totally nonviolent um, marijuana offender. If you, I, I can tell you a little bit about him. If you, if you're, of course, yes, of course, your listeners would be interested. Um, my brother was uh, basically a child of the 60s. He's my younger brother, and he. Um, he he was always very he's the youngest of four children and he um was always real enterprising and energetic and everything he always had a business i remember when he was in the in grade school and he um found a hardware store around the corner uh it wasn't a hardware it was an appliance store and they were putting appliances out for trash in the back of the building. So he took his wagon down there and asked if he could take them. And they said yes. And he took, he brought them home in his wagon, like washing machines and things like that. Took them in the backyard, took them apart, separated the metal by what kind it was. And then he'd just have to start begging my father to take him to um, a junkyard where he could sell them. And my father wasn't really... Um, that involved in 
the price of metal or anything, but John became very involved. Anyway, that was pretty much the kind of life he had. One time he, um, when he was in high school, he leased a, he and his brother leased a lake, and they ran a business on it with kayaks, and I think there was a little miniature golf place next to it. He always worked um, all through, I mean, all through school. So he he went to a community college when he graduated from high school. The rest of us were all gone. We were I was away at college, and as was my other brother and my sister was out of the state also at the time. And so he um, he was a little bit dyslexic, and. He always had, unlike the rest of us, he had a little little trouble with um, reading. So he dropped out, and he had saved lots of money, and he decided he would go to California and take a a, um, course for industrial diving. I don't know if you know anything about industrial diving, but it's it's a very dangerous job. I mean, um, the mortality rate is is uh, pretty high and um, higher than police officers, by the way, Uh, probably right up there with lumberjacks. But after he completed that, he really thought it was too dangerous. It was, he really was, didn't think that that was prudent way to spend his life because of the, uh, the longevity was not that great. So, in San Francisco at that time, um, there was an or- a group in the Hague called the Good Earth Society, and John became part of the Good Earth Society. And in the late 60s and very early 70s, the Good Earth Society did, they were uh, a bunch of young people and kids, really, and they were squatters, essentially, in the Hague. Um, there were so many abandoned houses there, and they were um, uh, subject to being demolished, and, and they started saving them from the wrecking ball, really. Uh, they were very industrious kids, and they fixed them up and, and uh, kept them from being demolished. They opened soup kitchens for uh, the community kids, and they started... Um, like tutoring classes for grade school children after after school, and this was the counterculture. Uh, Eric, Eugene can probably talk about it because he he was alive then, as as I was, and um, it was a time of huge change. It was the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the um, uh, women's rights movement, everything was changed, and pretty much San Francisco was the epicenter of it. I don't know if any of you have read the book. David Talbot wrote a book, I think it was published last year, called Season of the Witch, which chronicles I read San it. Francisco. Did you read it? So right. he, he, had, he had a part in there in the, the Good Earth Society and actually interviewed... Um, uh, John's sister-in-law, because she was also there. And uh, as, by the mid-'70s, the culture in in that community had changed because there had been um, more, there was more violence and there were more hard drugs. 
but at the end of the 60s, early 70s, it was pretty much pot, and they were doing a lot of community action work. So in the early 70s, my brother, um, I think he, I, I think he moved to Europe, and I'm not sure where where he was in the, I mean, in, at what time. I, but um, he traveled a lot. I mean, he loved Canada, uh, British Columbia, and he'd go there to fish. And then, and also, it was the time when people were making treks to the Middle East, like Mia Farrow and rock stars and the Beatles, and we're all going to the Middle East to um, on spiritual journeys. And John spent time there. So, uh, of course, during that time, he was he, he was uh, involved in uh, some uh, marijuana distribution and stuff like that. It was kind of culturally what what a lot of people his age did, and it, and there weren't huge penalties for it at that time. Um, nobody 80s, knew it was a secret. <laughs> That's right. Or if they did know, it, it wasn't that important. Um, so uh, he um, he generally he spent a lot of time out of the country, living out of the country. In 1982, he got married, and it was uh, someone he'd known since he since. He'd been in the hate, and um, they had. Uh, I I can't. I, I'm try, I have trouble with the numbers because, anyway, <laughs> he um, he continued uh, being part of a loose group, mainly uh, in California. Uh, and he always described it as a like a pickup basketball game. It, people would rotate in and out, and somebody would have a niche uh, field of expertise that's in importing. Um, his <laughs> he, he largely imported into Canada or to uh, Western European countries. And then he, when min- mandatory minimums came in the or just after the mid-80s, John decided it was very dangerous and it was not something that people should do. So he told everybody, and he, re- he thought that he had was out of the loop, and he told everybody he was never not participating ever, and got on with his life. And um, he... Uh, in 19, I think, 90 or 91, he and his wife, and by then a very young son, moved to Hawaii. And uh, she, because his wife was accepted into a Ph.D. program there. And in 1994, two friends from uh, San Francisco uh, were indicted in the Northern District of Florida. And that was how he he was indicted as a co-conspirator um, in that case. And it was a huge case, and it went over, like, at least a 20-year span, and there were hundreds of people. Um, 
John was out of the country at the time, and he decided he did not come back. We didn't know where he was, and it was very scary. I was hoping that he would never come back, even if I'd never see him again, because uh, the Northern District of Florida was a fearsome place to be indicted and prosecuted. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in 1996, he was arrested in Paris, and he was held in the Prison de la Santé in Paris for, let's see, for three years, uh, fighting extradition. But in 1999, he was extradited and um, taken to the Northern District of Florida to, San, to, to stay in trial. So that's pretty much a that's a very good scenario for receiving an extraordinarily long sentence. Wow! Um, being being wow. indicted for conspiracy, being the last person of out of a hundred, you know, uh, yeah. I don't even know, but I know it was over a hundred, and being the conspiracy lasting twenty years. And if you're the last person and you go to trial, uh, you can be sure that your sentence will be um, maximum and egregious, and that's what happened to him. Right. So did um, so so a judge. So what, I, what the judge said that you are going to go and serve one life, and then you're going to come back and you're going to do your next life in prison. And then you're going to come back and you're going to do 20 more years? That's correct. It's going to be a trick, isn't it? I, I, I just don't uh, understand how he's supposed that. to pay off that debt. I just don't get it. I mean, I, it's... I, and, President, <laughs> Christian, I, uh, I'd like to make a comment here if I could. Um, uh, Beth, uh, and by the way, listeners, I've known Beth for, I guess it's almost 20 years. She was the first time. person who reached out to me in prison and said, hey, uh, there's people who care for you in addition to your family. And I can't say enough to this wonderful lady. She was a voice of compassion and, and, and understanding. And um, but I, want, I want to say something on, 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 this, on the sentencing that you raised, Christian, on the way they prosecuted your brother, Beth. Um, it's so stupid, the whole thing. Instead of going after real criminals who harm people, they've gone into this this marijuana thing, and it, it's a it, it was a big deal. Beth, because I'm on the same I'm of the same period as your brother. It was yeah. a big it was a big deal to get these people and pull them back into prison and waste all that those resources putting them in prison. For something that was part of our culture back then, you know what I'm saying? Uh, listen, there was there was marijuana flowing all through Florida, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I could start naming businesses that were, were formed and popular big businesses today, even that were formed with marijuana money, and it, you know that's when marijuana was imported to the to this country. Now it's all grown in this country, you know. But th- but that's it was all part of the culture, and the idealism you speak of, Beth, that was part of who we were too. You know, I I started out right after college in in the Peace Corps. I spent time in that, and then I spent another four years 
doing working on, on development programs with, with the Department of State. It was a period of idealism. It was the thing that John F. Kennedy said, ask not what, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And there were young people who went all over the world, young Americans, and they did it in the United States and in other places. And that was part of our culture. That was all part of our culture. But, 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 Christian, you know, the judge that did this and the sentencing that did this, you know, you, you're absolutely right. You, you say two life sentences plus 20 years. What 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 do they think this, this this man is so dangerous that they never want to give him the possibility of getting out of prison? Yes, he was and in the marijuana business. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. Listen, people, no one got hurt. You guys, the yeah, possibility John, of him getting out of prison is real. We, you know, the, the governor could could part. The possibility of him getting out is real. The, the governor could pardon him any time. He is a federal prisoner, um, and that the president, the president Lucky Jean, yeah, the president right. could, and and, and that's what we're so hundreds of letters. We've got hundreds of letters for the president asking to to, to release him. I know, I know. They, and they're at the pardon like, attorney's office. Uh, he, this <laughs> is uh, something Eugene knows that probably lots of people don't. Uh, John is still ha- housed in a a high-security federal prison because um, not because he's never he has been in prison for it'll be 20 years in I think April or May with and he never had a single, a single incident but he's in a high-security prison because of the length of his sentence and uh, if you want to think about what waste is um, that pretty much says yes. it to me uh, right. to to keep someone in high security. <laughs> Beth, they, they used to, they did with me that they same thing they do to your brother. When they moved me, they put me it put me in a black box, which is a special apparatus they put on your hands, and they would isolate me and so on. And the guards even would say, "What's this all about? Why are yeah. we doing this to, the, to this man?" Everyone would question it, but man. Uh, uh, they kept me. They put me on a medium facility at first when I started my sentence, and then they said, "No, that's not enough for him. We're going to put uh-huh. him in the highest, highest security prison." Uh, uh, the first one I went to was Lewisburg, uh, yeah. first maximum security. And you know, and I, I'll tell you, Beth, when I got there, I was scared. I looked around. I said, "Who are all these people?" <laughs> you know, oh, it look, is, it's frightening to be moved. Yeah. You don't know where you're going or who they are, and um, or if you're going to even have a bed or if you'll be sleeping on a floor someplace. And sometimes those transport transports take uh, weeks, and during that time, your all your um, legal documents are pretty much in jeopardy, as you know. I mean, you don't know if they'll be there when. When you get to wherever they're taking you, and it's it's a very very kind of draconian thing. So, and um, anyway, I I started Life for Pot, and um, I was just reading this morning on uh, a, a website 
that there's a lot of talk now about criticism about using the word marijuana instead of cannabis. Well, if the word marijuana is out of favor, pot definitely is verboten, I would think. And (laughs) it it was a little bit of a problem because people did talk about whether or not life for pot was uh, something that we should even... We should be saying cannabis or or marijuana. It all means the same thing, though. It's hot for me. I'm very glad that I use pot because uh, (laughs) it it resonated with so many people. And um, then other people have said, well, in in the old days they called it weed. I I didn't really think about that, but it could have been life for weed. So... (laughs) Uh, but it is life for pot, and uh, people who are are um, helping all the inmates on the site don't seem to mind that it's no. maybe politically incorrect in some circles. I don't know. Um, no, I had a website that was no jail for pot. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you guys, I, I, so you know I agree with life for pot. <laughs> well, you guys, I, yeah, I, I have that. a – you guys are earlier guests um, – uh, Amanda Latz, she's Parents for Pot. She's a, a coordinator for their Michigan chapter. And on her Facebook wall yesterday, oh, yeah. there was a woman who was complaining about it being called Pot, Parents for Pot. So I think it's hitting yeah. a few different groups that use that word, but it, it means the same thing. You no, know, if you say cannabis or if you said marijuana, they would say that's the wrong word. If you said weed, that would be the wrong word. The only right word would be cannabis, and that doesn't fit in. So you know, it, yeah. it's what, it, what we say it is. It's pot. It's life for pot. Yeah, well, I, I said it's too late for me to change anything, and not, I don't think I would anyway, but uh, now I... Don't I, change one thing, Beth. Be yourself <laughs> as you are. You're a hero. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll tell you something I'm very, very happy about. Uh, in the early days of after I started gathering these people together and putting them up and and vetting their cases to make sure they were just marijuana and there were no violent priors. I found um, five, I found uh, six six of them who were over the age of 60. Mm. I think it was 60 60 or 62. And um, Michael Kennedy uh, decided to do, and, and David Holland decided to do a group petition for commutation to President Obama. It took uh, a couple years to get everybody's permission and to get the work together and everything. But in December of 2011, it was submitted and it was summarily, summarily dismissed. Um, I thought it was a great con. It could be used for a concept for a systemic solution for to our over incarceration. You know, commutations for a group that they'd all served uh, over 15 years of life without parole sentences. Eugene was originally supposed to be on that petition. Unfortunately, Eugene. Um, uh, unfortunately for me, who had to scramble around to find somebody to uh, replace him, Eugene was released, and I was very happy, but I thought we needed at least five. So um, I found, finally, Charles Cundiff, 
who um, really had no profile at all. And um, I reached out to a high school friend of his who was the only person who had contact with him. And he drove down to Florida immediately that weekend and gave Charles some money and got a picture of him so that we could have his picture in the group commutation. Charles was even sick at that time. But anyway, on on the the group petition, there were five. It was Charles Cundiff, Larry Duke, my brother, Paul Free, and Billy Deagle. And of those five, three of them are now out because Billy Deagle and Charles Cundiff got commutations on December 18th of this year. Um, Charles Cundiff was moved on Tuesday to a halfway house um, near, somewhere near or in Ocala. Billy is not, they have not located a halfway house for him, but he'll be moved as soon as they can, as soon as they find a, a space. So I feel pretty happy right now about the possibilities of more commutations, but what what we've had is really when when it's uh, compared with the vast number of nonviolent drug offenders who have a group life sentences or de facto life sentences, the amount of commutations have been very sparse. We need thousands, but I would I would hope that at least the group of individuals who are who have actual life without parole in the federal system who will not be helped by um, any of the proposed or uh, proposed legislation um, I would hope that they would all receive commutations because that is their only way out right now the uh, sentencing reform legislation that's pending and has, and the sentencing reform legislation that has been passed will not apply to any of these inmates who have life sentences. So uh, that's pretty much where my emphasis is going to be on a systemic solution for marijuana or drug offenders with life sentences who are nonviolent. And a systemic solution would be commutations right now. That's pretty much it the only thing that will give them any sentencing release at all. Relief at all. Pat, um, uh, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like the listeners to understand something that you've just said. Uh, in our legal system, if a law is passed, it doesn't automatically have retroactivity. Retroactivity mean, meaning it can't be applied to the past, to people who are already sentenced. It has to go in special cases. It has to be done by the sentencing commission or have it in, in the legislation, which is that very rarely that it happens. And when yeah, we absolutely. gave, when we gave Beth, when we gave a conference once, we had a speaker from from your area of of, of the country who was there. He was a professor, a law professor, and he said, "You know what this is like? This is like." You've got a fatal disease that somebody has. Okay, fatal disease. Think life sentence. Fatal disease a person has. And along comes a miracle drug. 
and it can cure it, the man's disease or the woman's disease, right? It can cure mm-hmm. it. But they say on the on the label of the drug, but this can't be applied to anyone who already has the disease. It's that's very that's a pretty good analogy. Um, <laughs> people think that if if marijuana is legalized, even if they take it off the Controlled Substance Act uh, schedule completely, that there's no problem for these inmates. But that's not the case. These guys will still be in prison for life unless. They're granted sentence and relief to commutation or a retroactive legislation, which doesn't seem to be likely that they will no, get that retroactive legislation right now. That's so. That's, that's pretty much what my mom's probation officer told her too. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's. Uh, however, that's where we are right now. However, well, just to make guys, a point, Beth. However, that doesn't mean we shouldn't work at reform, because. Say we got mm-hmm. something passed, like changing the scheduling of, of marijuana. We'd work like crazy. We should continue to work like crazy to get it made retroactive. To go Absolutely. that next step. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, we so, only have about 20, 20, 22 minutes left, and we have George Monterano on the line. Okay. He's going to read us a poem. Um, okay. Thank, thank you, Beth. Okay. Well, thank you, and I will. Like I will hang up and listen. We love you, Beth. Thank you too. I love you guys Bye, too. Beth. You're doing wonderfully wonderful work. Mm-hmm. Bye. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know, though, Beth, before you go? Pardon me. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know before you go? Um, no, not really. I just um, nope. Just just keep right. in mind. That we still have a lot of work to do. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Beth. Right. Free, uh-huh. free, Bye. free John Knox. Bye, Beth. We got a free John Knox so that she can have her brother back in her life. Now, how much that would mean to the world. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Next, we're going to. Bye. Love you. Next, I love we're you gonna too. Go to, <laughs> thank you. Next, we're going to go to George Monterano, who just served 30. Three years in prison for the plant. He's a free man. He's here to give us his Georgie's Corner segment of the radio show. Good morning, George. Hey, good morning, you guys. Good morning, Jean. Good morning, Mindy. Hi, good morning, George. We got Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie Landis on the line as well. Okay, all, hi, Steph. All the listeners hi. are waiting for you for your poetry. They're waiting to hear your latest poem. <laughs> Well, I just wrote this uh, about 20 minutes ago. I don't even title it, but I write it. I believe I shouldn't title it. I think it should be warm and spontaneous for the show. Well, here it goes. <clears throat> the yesterday called hell for walls and fear, not a blessed deer. Came here, and now I walk free. Look at the crowd. But... There is night, quiet and dark. A human am I. Those memories gray do run. I cry, walk, talk to no one. Just wait, oh wait, for God's free son. There you have it. Beautiful. Amen. Like I said, I haven't titled it. I wrote it 20 minutes ago. (laughs) 
Well, that's for well, you the know, show. Like they, got, they got paintings that are called Untitled. I think we'll call this <laughs> the Untitled Poem by George. <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> I'd like to give a message uh, for the world uh, regards to uh, the new year. Uh, number one, uh, you know, for personally, for each one personally, we all have uh, scars in the mind and heart. You have to push them away. You have to forgive, and you have to move on. It's very important. You have to forgive, and you have to move on. Uh, number two, as far as I'm, I am concerned about uh, advocacy work, uh, my goal is to try to meet with the BOP union representatives, top union representatives in Washington, because, because uh, as Gene and I are, we are basically experts within the Bureau of Prisons. And pray, I pray that these 60,000 uh, uh, drug offenders get out. It seems like it's uh, you got one more year and it's still a slow process. Okay, but the reality of this, I don't know if I spoke it before, Gene, the reality of it, you cannot take a group and point the wand. There's 200-some thousand federal prisoners. You point the wand and say, these guys are going to go, and these guys are going to stay. Well, there's tens of thousands in penitentiaries. are going to take that in a very bad, violent, let me repeat, <laughs> violent life. And then places are going to be, they're basically unbearable now, and the public doesn't know. Every year they get worse. So and there's a lot of good staff that uh, their lives are going to be in jeopardy. And who who can help with that is the prison union. So I'm going to, to try to address that. Also, uh, basically, uh, uh, these uh, they have these reentry judges. They're appointed in every major city. They have these reentry classes. The guys go to the halfway house on the home confinement, and they're allowed to get these 10 10-week programs, etc. And I was fortunate enough to read some of the um, the coming programs under these federal judges. And I want to speak uh, not for it. I want to speak against that because it's basically a classroom setting. It's going to work. It's not going to work. These guys need uh, much more. I don't want to get into that. Basically, the field trip. And another thing, uh, American, probably Gene doesn't even know this, but I have already uh, investigated and experienced it. You know, we got these marijuana people languishing in prison, good prison records, mild prisoners, and there's plenty of them that uh, I hate to use the words because I just heard that talk, and she's a sweetheart, that could perish, could, could perish in the cell. Okay, but people doesn't understand. They are sex offenders that are actually quietly being housed by the hundreds all over America. They're put in trailer parks. They're put in uh, Section 8 communities, and they're just laying dormant, and they're eating up money. And uh, no one agrees with that. I'm sure no one agrees with them. But as a mentor teacher, a few years back, living in the lifestyle change unit that I lived in, I was called in and said, listen, George, we're going to get a percent, a nice percent of these sex offenders, and we're going to have to put them in your classroom. What's your feeling on that? And I said, I'm a teacher. Was ever in my classroom, they want they want to physically and mentally learn. I would teach them. I don't know how that got out. Well, that got out to a certain the department here in Florida, and I was asked a few weeks ago to visit one of these uh, over 300 just sitting there dormant. I don't want to mention the structures, but they're sitting there dormant, and they're making no sense of it, no sense of it. And what, how do you make sense of it is how to, you have to get them field trips, 
dress properly, learn how to shake, and give eye contact. And now they have a percent, maybe two, three percent runaways on a monthly basis, and they're going to probably go out and harm society. So it's the marijuana people in there are languishing, but the state and federal government are quietly releasing these numbers out, numbers out, and they're being housed all over America. So that's another thing I want to address to the powers you be. Come on, gentlemen. We're all human beings. You're letting these people out with no structure, but the marijuana people that can enhance society and help people, they're being kept. Gene? Yeah, George, you make an excellent point. Uh, I want to say this, too. I, I, you know, I've been out now for three years, George, and I can say this. The people I've known, the marijuana people I've known who have been incarcerated for a long time, every single one of them who's got out is a positive part of society. I don't know of one case of these guys who've gotten out who are anything but good people for society in general, giving so much back. George? Right. Well, and then uh, with Christine, with these woman prisoners by the numbers, what a, what a sense of that. What a sense of how housing these women prisoners for lengthy sentences. Planning them for I don't care what kind of drug. You just don't put a full woman's life away, especially with children involved. I mean, we have to make some sense of it. And like, and, go ahead, Christine. Oh, that was Stephanie. Stephanie's on the line too. Oh, I'm sorry, Stephanie. I'm sorry. Uh, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just saying that I agree. Don't put women in prison and take away their kids. It's craziness. Well, I, I started this uh, called Fathers Behind Bars. I designed it and had a lot of success with it, with fathers that are exchanged, exchanged from their children. But I would get letters from the children and say, yeah, my dad's away. Well, my mom's away too. We helped a little girl in, in Texas, uh, Marguerite, uh, about a year ago. She was living in a car. She was 15 years old living in a car. Her father was doing life and her mother was doing 15 or 20 years. And we reached out to uh, friends there, and we helped the girl. I mean, uh, and that's only one. That's only one. And they're, they're, we're the only country that does that. We don't take in consideration the children. And and hundreds of thousands have been affected. My children have been affected. You know, I'm, I, have, I live with a broken heart. I lost a son because of my incarceration. If I would have been there, people say, no, I'm wrong. But I, I have it in my head. If I would have been there, he would have been alive. So, uh, like I said, all we can do is keep becoming a voice, but we have to be a voice with the facts. Like I just told you the facts about these sex offenders being placed in these large communities, and people don't know it because I did a survey. There was over 400 places, and then I went to the convenience stores and the stores within a quarter of a mile, half a mile radius, and spoke to the. They didn't know it. They didn't know it. So where, where, where's, what's honesty? Justice is supposed to be honesty. Where's the honesty in that? Gene? Uh, I have a question for <laughs> Stephanie. Stephanie, one of the things I understand is so many women who are in prison have been put there by their by ex-boyfriends or ex-husbands who uh, took some kind of plea and the women just got got the brunt of the deal, and they got the long sentences. Did you experience that when you were in 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 uh, most, your time? Most most of the women there are there because of a man, not me. I was there because of myself. 
you know, I grow pot. Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> but most of the women there are definitely there because of their men. Maybe they got a lesser sentence or the man gave them up because he would get a lesser sentence or, you know, there was, but there was, you know, the women were, most of, where I was, half the women had just crossed the border and that was their only crime. You know, they didn't they didn't really have a crime. So that was half the people had just crossed the border. The first time you cross it's six months, the next time is five years. So you know, Stephanie, they, was you ever on the again. Was you ever on the federal prison airlift? Did you do state or fed time? Fed time. Okay. Did you ever was you ever they put you on the airlift? No, they they don't move the girls around too much because there's only a few women's prisons. Yes. Well, so I want to. I didn't get. I want to. I want to say something like that to the to the world. You know, as a writer and a poet, you know, I learned poetry uh, from uh, from loneliness, and I ho- hope to have a radio show pretty soon. Uh, you guys, uh, it's not going to be an advocate. It's going to be dedicated to American women called the shoulder to cry on. But anyway. You know, they, uh, these these uh, planes are a good, uh, you know, 30 yards long, and uh, they put all the men in first, and, and then they want to parade the women down this corridor. And, uh, you know, the woman, uh, the body is the stem, and the face is the flower. Okay? So these women, uh, they stroll up this thin aisle, and it's such an embarrassment. Such a such a, a, a dignity, such a slap on the dignity. They're chained and they have to walk past these guys. And I can't look. I start at their legs and maybe look up. And when I see the face, the flower, it's such crushed. I mean, you have no right. You have okay. You want to lock them up, but you got no right to take their dignity away. We have plenty of money to transport women by themselves. And that 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 bothers me too today. And probably going to write a poem about that. Stephanie. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's no dignity in prison anyway. As soon as you get strip searched, that's the end of your dignity. You know, right. it's just like they just don't give it to you anymore. I mean, I in my wildest dreams, I'm like, strip searched? Are you kidding me? I am Jewish. I don't do that. <laughs> and well, we I was just well, like... Stay. Stephanie, I, I, I want to give you an, a, an antidote. Uh, when Georgie and I were together in Atlanta, they'd have this long corridor, and we'd walk down there from, to get the wreck or the mess hall or so on, and they would stop us sometimes in the middle of this corridor and strip search us. You know, you know what strip search means, so everyone listening understands. It's the most uh, horrible indignity that you can imagine. They'd have, have you take all your clothes off. You're right there with everyone watching. All your clothes off. And then they say, bend over and spread your cheeks. And I'm not talking about your cheeks on your face. And lift them up. <laughs> and you, you know. and this, is, this, this happened and, on a regular and wait, basis. And they, and they make women squat and cough just in case the, something should fall off. Fall out. That sounds kind of sick. It is sick. It is sick. You should have seen some of these officers. It sounds not just sick, but a little, it sounds a little perverted. It just sounds. You should have seen some of these officers, Christian, who do these strip searches. I can't tell you in a women's prison, I'm sure it's the same. 
as the men's prison, they were some of the sickest people you could imagine who were doing these strip searches, and they enjoyed it. They enjoyed humiliating us. Well, I believe all, you know, like I said, we have, no matter what, we cannot be bitter. We have to just explain the facts and make it flow the best way we can. That's all we can do. Try to get well, out I there. don't Look like the government. I'm sorry. I do not like government. <laughs> I am not going to. No, no. Sorry. I love you, Stephanie. I don't like him either. I love you, though. That's cool. You're cool. Hey, Christian, <laughs> Stephanie is a good friend of mine. And for all you listeners who don't know her personally. She's a good friend of mine, too. <laughs> she's not a big lady. But don't, I don't want to get on the wrong side of her ever. I'll tell you something. Oh, okay. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I well, you guys, we <laughs> we've only got eight minutes left, and we have Tom Corby on the on the line, and he'd like to tell us what's okay. going on in Northern California I'm before we get off. Okay, phone Stephanie and George, goodbye okay. to you. Thanks for coming on the I'll program. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Love, love everybody. Goodbye. Stay strong. Love Stay you, strong. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, okay, so you guys, we're going to go to Tom Corby. We just have a few minutes left um, to hear what's going on in Northern California, and then we're going to move the show into the close. Tom is a chapter coordinator for the Human Solution International, and he he does tons of good things up in Northern California. He gets people together, and he gets people in the courtroom in order to uh, show support for defendants. He also does tons of prison outreach as he writes letters to prisoners and tries to bring attention Rob. to them. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Top of the day, all. I want to thank Eugene, Christian, Becca, Mindy, all the folks on the front line putting their time in to help us end prohibition. Free all our POWs to serve our goal and vision, not only with the Human Solution International.org, also, Jack Harris, Go Envision with CCHI2016.org. You can help join us and be the solution. No one should be jailed for a plant and especially die in prison for a plant. Uh, court support. Yes, exactly. And court support, folks, is so important. <clears throat> Get hooked. It's not only that you support a defendant. Also, you bear witness to the injustices going on inside these courtrooms. It will astound you. Also, we get we find new cases. We get the right people together to advocate and help with our defendants and our attorneys to bring our 995 motions to dismiss, quash, and traverse the search warrant always when we go on to trial, past arraignment. Shelby Lucero in Sacramento County this week, this Friday at 9 a.m., has another pretrial. Can you believe she has record for a pretrial continuance in Sacramento County? 29 continuance. Think about that, folks. What a waste of time and taxpayers' money. This disrupts lives and family. We must stop the madness. And then this failed drug war. Shelby uh, will be up at 9 a.m. Uh, that's the Superior Court, Sacramento, on 729th Street. 
uh, in Sacramento. Uh, the rule is uh, core support is always important. We have a, a local 50-mile radius uh, that we always try to come with our local support for our defendants. Uh, so if you can, call for Shelby uh, this uh, Friday uh, in Sacramento County. Uh, we talk about our prisoner outreach program. Uh, right now, I have one, two, three, four, five letters going here. I'll have three uh, requests for pardon letters. Uh, just talk to Becca. It seemed like uh, Mo Foley last year, same time, one, five, fifteen. Wrote Mo Foley uh, a computation letter. Um, I'm, I'm going to write it again. Every year, we keep sending these letters. Uh, thankfully, we, we don't have to send letters for George Martorano, Jeff Mazansky, and some of the others that have been released. No one should spend the rest of their life in prison for a plan. It's, it actually is a medicinal herb, in fact. Uh, Paul Free, uh, been in 21 years. I have his, I finished his letter here. I like to keep my letters to one page, cut it to brevity. Uh, I also always send uh, not only to the pardon attorney, always try to send one to the defendant so he can share that with his attorney. Uh, the Office of Pardon Attorneys, you probably all have this. Uh, it's a DOJ, 1425 New York Street, 11,000, Washington, D.C., 20530. Uh that's uh, Deputy Attorney James Cole and Deborah Left. Uh, on Paul Free, uh, this is such a sad case. Uh, it uh, mirrors uh, Christian Ford's uh, uh, case with her dad. How uh, the humane and uh, treatment they, they are getting inside these prisons. Uh, it ha- I, my letter is real short here. You can keep these to gravity, folks. It, it has come to our attention. Uh, this is from Tom and Donna Corby, Orville, California, with Human Solution International. We find it disturbing that Mr. Free is still in prison after 21 years for, in fact, in the first place, a victimless alleged crime and, and, the, and that Mr. Free has proved he couldn't have committed the crime. He wasn't even there, and uh, the witness that lied on the stand admitted he lied, and they still will not let him out. This is this is unacceptable. This not only seems like cruel and inhumane treatment, but also disrupts lives and families that I mentioned before, uh, wasting taxpayers' money. Mr. Free would have been released long ago if not for dra- draconian antiquated, illogical, mandatory minimum sentencing laws. Furthermore, at Free's trial, and this happens a lot, folks, evidence was excluded. How can that be? How can this be when the court is obligated to allow all evidence in? So much for justice served, Paul Free says in his eight-page letter here. You cannot believe not to mention that Mr. Free has serious health issues that aren't being properly addressed. That all being said, we hope you find it in your heart to free Paul Free. Respectfully, Tom and Donna Corby. I have the same letter here from Will Foley. 
same type of litter. Uh, there's just some differences, but uh, 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 they're basically all the same. And uh, it, it's not so important uh, how much of what you say. It's important how many letters they get. And uh, believe me, folks, uh, these letters are so important. Also, the letters that the prisoners get, uh, there's nothing more important. Uh, time of day is nail call. It's really all they have in there. Uh, uh, so Paul Fries, uh, uh sending a letter to the pardon attorney. Uh, Paul Fries' address, his number is 42235-198. That's USP, US, United States Penitentiary, Box 019001. And that's in Atwater, California, folks. 95301. If you're down in that area, he would love if you stopped and, and gave him a visit. That would mean so much to him. Uh, the, the, the letter to, uh, we have a, a campaign letter writing going for Mo Foley again uh, this year. Uh, uh, we're going to actually send the letter to his judge, Judge David Stewart Sharon. Uh, actually, that's Sir Cohn. Uh, that's U.S. District Court, Clerk of the Court, uh, 17 South Park Road, Room A5, 150, Erie, Pennsylvania, 16501, Pennsylvania. Uh, we don't hear much from there. Uh, Mo's been in, uh, I believe, uh, 21 years also. Uh, and this is just unacceptable that, that, uh, that these are victimless crimes. Uh, if so, if you could, folks, uh, send a letter today, uh, you can go to our uh, prisoner outreach program and get a list of all the prisoners, uh, uh, also POW420s, and you can get all the, the addresses of all the prisoners. Uh, I want right. to thank you all today. Uh, I won't take any more time. Uh, unless, if there's any questions, uh, I'll be glad to share what I what I have. Uh, thanks, Kristen. Thank you, Tom. And for, for our you, listeners, that is, that is Tom Corby. You can find Tom Corby uh, in Northern California on Facebook. If you have Facebook, his name is T-O-M-K-O-R-B-Y. If you have any questions about some prisoners or want some of their addresses, Tom would love to help you. Um, if you want to know what's going on in Northern California where you can join for court support, please go to Tom's messages on Facebook and send him one. Uh, Eugene, is there anything you want to say before we close the show out today? No. I, uh, so much was said on the program from all, all the participants. Uh, uh, there's nothing I could add. Okay, well, then I'm going to go into our closing. We want to especially thank um, CCHI 2016 uh, for giving us this platform to do this radio show on. Um, they give us this voice every single week, and we do our radio show through their, through their blog talk uh, services. So thank you, CCHI. We also want to thank um, Northwest Leaf and the Vega Canada magazines for letting us use uh, writing space in their magazines to write about the things we talk about on the show. Um, we also want to say thank you to all the listeners, all the callers, Becca who's screening our calls, Mindy who produces the show, and everybody who listens and every one of our guests who come on with their voices to be able to be heard everywhere. We appreciate it. I just want to end the show before I go into the closing by saying you have the power. 
you have the power to say not guilty if you are ever called to jury duty. You can not only judge if the law has been broken, but you can actually judge the law. If you think it's a bad law, you can refuse to say guilty and refuse to send somebody to prison. Most of our lifers would have been saved had a a juror just said, no, this isn't right. I'm not going to do it. Not guilty. But half of them, most of them don't even know that they're facing life sentences. So they keep a lot of secrets from you as a juror. And I just um, am going to urge anybody who's going to jury duty to open your eyes and see, is there a victim in this case? And if there is not a victim in the case, just, just say not guilty. It's, it's your duty to the world to keep, to keep people from spending life in prison. So I'm going to close the show out right now by thanking everybody and asking you to please help the Voices of Little Cannabis War and all the other groups out there. Join a group that's right for you. There's, there's a quite a bit of advocacy groups out there right now that, is going to, that are working to end the war. So find where you fit in. If you have any questions about where you fit in, send me a message, and I'll tell you all about all the different groups and where you can volunteer your time at. Um, because we have over 50 people serving life sentences, and some of them even died. So I want to say, take a special time out because it's Sunday to recognize those that have passed away in this movement. Um, of course, I always like to go straight to my father, Richard Floor, because he's, he's deep in my heart and my soul. Say rest in peace to him and help, you end pro- help us all end prohibition so that nobody else has to die a very miserable, tormenting, neglectful death in prison. As we've heard throughout all these shows, that they don't take care of our prisoners, prisoners or any of our nonviolent prisoners in prison. We don't need anybody else to die like my father did, shackled to a bed, all alone. Well, I got to be there, but most of them don't get that. Um, and it was, it was only because my dad wouldn't die without me, basically. They had to call me to take him off life support um, after all his broken ribs, his undiagnosed colon cancer, his aneurysms went ignored for months while he just sat there and left, and left to die. I also want to say rest in peace to Gary Shepard and Mary Jane Jones. Gary Shepard and Mary Jane Jones were shot down by the federal government 21 years ago in a raid. And Gary was shot over 20 times. Him and Mary Jane Jones, as she held baby Jake in their arms, fell to the ground. As Gary died, Mary Jane survived. In fact, she just passed away a couple months ago. So we want to say rest in peace to them. We want to end prohibition so that they don't take their guns into our homes and jeopardize our lives anymore. We also want to say rest in peace to Jack Hare, who wrote uh, Emperor Wears No Clothes, who educated us so much. So if you have any questions about our plant, please read that book. Also, Peter McWilliams, who wrote a couple books to inspire us. He was a plant prisoner who died, and he fought for our rights before he died in prison. Um, We also want to um, say rest in peace to Bill Lamort, who was a good friend of Eugene Fisher's in prison. He was serving time for life in our plant, for our plant, passed away on the 4th of July. Um, All we know that Eugene told us on the last show is that Bill came in um, from 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 the yard and grabbed his chest and died of a major heart attack while serving his sentence for our plant. So rest in peace, Bill. Also rest in peace to Larry Harvey, who fought in D.C. for our plant. Dee Young, who gave us Adam, who's helping us build a website. Also Curtis Sifu, whose father called in today. Um, Curtis died in this untormenting war without his father, who was serving a life sentence. We also want to say rest in peace to Spencer Coptis and Cashy Hyde, who were getting the medicine they needed little children who were getting the medicine they needed to kill the brain tumors that were growing in their brains. And it was working until the government raided their caregivers, 
that were growing the plant for the two little children. And after those raids, um, they weren't able to get the medicine um, like they were before, and they both passed away in this war. Also, rest in peace to Bernardo Fumar Martinez, who was trying to help us end the war on a worldly level. Um, rest in peace also to Oscar, who was Eugene's and George's friend in prison. He went, and they 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 say he went to FCI in the sky. So um, help us end prohibition, so nobody else has to die in this war. Thank you, and rest in peace to all the other people that we don't know about who's died in this war. Thank you for listening to our show. Please share it around. Um, help get these voices out in the world. We appreciate you for listening, and thank you. Right now, I'm going to play this song, um, who, which this song I really love. Um, I play it every single week. I'm looking for it here. It's from Cushites. It's called No More War. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Have a beautiful Sunday.
if you don't get it. The country surrounding Israel, the holy land is now being in W.O. committed. The war is still swimming through the mind to ask you just how to get it. Or should I say distract? They say it's oil, but it's deeper than that. It's just more smoke to the mirror, so I radiate more hope clearer. Shed tears for my peers, the judgment day gets nearer. So I exercise a mightier than the sword. Use the pen to paint the lines with conscious mind the world can explore. So maybe you can find out why it's the war. Some of the most powerful things are the thought that it's made of men. Some of the most cowardly shit that's ever known to me. Respect, loyalty. Love has all disappeared. And they were replaced with gunshots, body bags, cannibalism amongst our peers. Since we murder our disagreements and we shake hands with our enemies. We shake hands with our enemies and murder our disagreements and put them on a pedestal with some sort of achievement. Being a man is not based on the people you shot or how good you get a fight. Being a man is one who's able to feed his family when times are tight. We are in a recession, suffering with oppression, so lower your Bibles and load your weapons. How many times must we pray before we start losing our blessings? How many loved ones must we lose before we taught ourselves a lesson? Reach one, each one, teach one, empower them. Each. 